We can use representations of people in order to honor them uh, or in order to dishonor them. So we can take somebody, a statue, we can make a statue of somebody to honor them. That's what we have uh, in the United States at the, at the Lincoln Memorial. We have a, a big uh, statue of Abraham Lincoln to honor what he did in our country, to honor uh, what he accomplished. Of course, we can also use people's representations to dishonor them. Uh, so uh, in the past few years, and, and this has been common in U.S. history as well, but, but in different places in the world, there have been uh, representations of Vladimir Putin uh, put together and, and big statues of him or, or really like dummies of him, and they've been burned in effigy. So we can make representations of people in order to honor them or to desecrate them, to insult them. Uh, or to praise them, to commend them. Well, Jesus did not leave us a statue of himself. We don't know exactly what Jesus looked like, uh, except that he probably looked like a typical first century Palestinian Jewish man. Like we don't, he didn't leave us a picture. But he did leave us a symbolic representation of himself. He left us the Lord's Supper. In the bread and the cup, he presented, this is my body, this is my blood. This is poured out for you. This is, he represented himself, and not only himself, but the most important thing that he did for us, that he died for us. And how we take the Lord's Supper, we can take that in a way that honors Jesus, or we can take that in a way that dishonors Jesus. And what I hope you'll see today is what it looks like to take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, to take uh, the Lord's Supper in a way that honors Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11, and what we'll see first is the so-called supper, the so-called supper. You look at 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 22, the Corinthians were, were calling it the Lord's Supper, what they were doing, but it wasn't really the Lord's Supper. So look at verses 17 through 22, it says, but in the following instructions, I do not, do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that there, those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. You look at verse 17. Earlier in, in chapter 2, Paul has given them some commendation for keeping uh, traditions that were handed down by the Lord Jesus Christ, that were handed down to the apostles, and the apostles uh, handed down to the church. Uh, those traditions are recorded for us uh, in the Holy Scriptures, in the New Testament. So he can commend them for some things, but the overall nature of chapters 11 through 14 is not commendation, it is correction. And Paul says in verse 17, he says, I don't have anything good to say about you. When it comes to this, when it comes to coming together for the Lord's Supper, I don't have anything good to say. I wish I did. wish I had something good to say. I don't have anything good to say. I think there's a little lesson here in, in the romantic ideas that we have about the New Testament church. 
I mean, one of the things that they would typically do uh, in the first century church is they come together uh, and they come together for a meal. They have a fellowship meal, which the Lord's Supper is a part of that meal uh, or maybe a, a recognition within, within that meal and they're meeting in people's homes. And, and, and there can be a lot of thought that, uh, uh, hear it, and I even kind of drawn to it, that, hey, if we're, if we're you know, they're, they're meeting at home, they're, they're having a meal together every week. Wow, that sounds so ideal. There must have been such great love and unity in the church. Wow, it just wasn't that way. I mean, that's not to say that, that uh, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying anything about house churches or even having a meal together every week. Lord willing, who knows, we might, we might start churches like that. But that does not ensure unity. It's not, it's not structures that, that cause unity. It's sin that keeps us from unity. It's our, it's our own, it's our own sinful passions that cause us to quarrel and to fight with one another. That's what causes division. That's what causes disunity. And so whether we're meeting in homes or we're meeting in a cathedral, whether it is in the industrialized West or it is in the third world, uh, whether it is in English or any other language, it is not the, it's not the structures that keep us from sin. It is our love and, and willingness to serve and to lay down our lives for one another that cause unity. That's what brings about, that's what brings about love and brotherhood and, and family. So don't, don't, I think, I think one of the things that, that we should think about it is what is it that, what is it that makes church, church? It's not buildings. It's, it's not particular cultural norms. What brings about the, the fellowship, the communion, the, the love among God's people is a willingness to lay down our lives for one another. We can do things that will cultivate that. And in wisdom, hopefully we will do that. But if you want to see fellowship, love in our, in our fellowship, that comes with serving one another. That comes with loving one another. So you can see that, that, that things are not the way they're supposed to be. In fact, Paul says, when you come together, it's not for the better. God's intention for us gathering together is that, that we would stir one another up to love and good deeds, the way, uh, the way the writer of Hebrews puts it. Or uh, in Ephesians 4, it is to, to be built up, to be equipped so that everybody can grow into maturity, into our head, uh, the head of the church, who is Jesus Christ. That's the intention of our break coming together. But what they were doing was the exact opposite of that. They were breaking people apart. They were causing the, causing, uh, uh, there to be, there, there was evil deeds within the midst of the gathering. Rather than stirring one another up to good words, there were evil deeds. And so that there, it's not, it's making things worse. Like, like maybe you should just stop gathering for a little while. I don't know. Like, 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 like you're, you're making it worse. Just stop what you're doing. Start doing it right. And so he says, when you gather in the church, I hear that there are divisions among you and I believe it. I believe it. You know, there, there, it's hard to, uh, we live, we, our society is not, among the most class-conscious societies or cultures on earth, uh, we can uh, we can think of uh, different societies have have very particular. Uh, there's a very particular class consciousness within society. So we can think of some place like uh, like India uh, that has a, a in in many places still a very definite uh, caste system, or even to a lesser degree, from what I understand, uh, England is very class conscious. Uh, part of the part of the American way is to is to not have classes, though. So so it's not it's not something that we typically deal with in the same way. But what was happening in the first century church in Corinth is they were class conscious. 
And the way that you had uh, this class consciousness portrayed in a, in a typical Corinthian feast was, hey, you had, the, you had the high society eat in one place, and then you had the, you had the slave classes and the poor classes go eat someplace else. And what, what, the, what the people in Corinth were doing was they were, they were carrying these divisions into the church where, hey, in some of these wealthy people's homes where they had enough room to have, a, have the, the people gather, well, the, the high society would meet inside uh, in the inside room, in the fine dining room. Uh, and then everybody else could eat the leftovers in the, in the atrium. You know, they could wait outside. Well, Paul says, this is what's wrong. This is, this absolutely should not be. What happens in the gathering of God's people in the taking of the Lord's Supper is that there is this picture of, of those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, who are partaking of the Lord's Supper together and proclaiming that, that yes, Jesus died for us. Jesus died to break down the walls of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Uh, there is in Christ neither neither Jew nor Greek. Uh, there is in Christ neither male nor female. There is neither uh, slave nor free. All of those divisions are broken down by the death of Jesus Christ. How how could you take something that that in the death of Jesus Christ says brings all people together, and here you are meeting together, and you're driving one another apart? How can you do that? Well, there's this very interesting thing that he says in verse 19. There must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. There's a, there's a very delicate balance that I think we need to maintain. On the one hand, what we are striving for is church unity. In every church, both in, in local churches, in local gatherings, we should strive for church unity. And even to the extent that in the broader church, we should strive for a unity. A unity of belief, a unity of practice, a, 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 a fellowship. At the same time, in every generation of, of church history, beginning in the New Testament, there have always been those who would depart from the ways that were taught by Jesus from the way that was taught by the apostles. And when, when those, when those, when some depart from the faith, then we depart from them. And so often it's not, it's not always, and I think you see this in the New Testament, one of the things that, that often stands out to me is in places like 1 John, where it was obvious that some people had left the church. And what John is writing to them to assure them is that those false teachers who left the church, I want to assure you that you know Jesus Christ. And here's how I want you to know. You're believing in him as the son of God, what these false teachers are denying. You are laying down your life for the brothers in the way that these brothers are not. And so in some cases, there have to be divisions because some are holding to the way of Jesus Christ. Some are holding to the truth and some are not. And so sometimes that happens. We never, we never rejoice at that. We never rejoice in that in a local church. We never rejoice in that at the church, in the church at large, in the universal church. But we recognize it as a reality of a, a, a world that is still, still infiltrated and corrupted by sin. And yet all of that is being brought to an end. We seek church unity together. Now then he says, what's happening is that when you come together, it's not the supper that you eat. 
when you when you come together now that may be a couple of different things could be that the some some of those who are wealthy were coming before and they have like their potluck fellowship dinner that they all bring together and they all they all sit down and eat all the food before the poorer classes can even come to the meeting or it could even be worse like they they kind of say hey we're going to eat in here you guys eat over there and uh we'll you know we'll maybe we'll come get you a little bit later you know i, I don't know you know uh could be either way, but whatever's happening is that there is a there is an evident disregard for other classes of people, other groups of people. Now, I said before that our society is not typically class conscious. That doesn't mean that there are aren't divisions in the church. Uh, there are divisions often based upon age, uh, based upon ethnicity, based upon affinity. People who like to group together. Uh, people who group together based upon age, based, based upon uh, their, their racial identity. As much as, it, as much as it is in our power, and it's not always in our power, but as much as it is in our power, we ought to be seeking to overcome those barriers. Those are not things that ought to divide us. We ought to even make a, a, specific, a, specific, the, uh, a specific point to, to be, be intentional about overcoming those things. He says, this is, not, this is not what the Lord's Supper is for. The Lord's Supper is not a time where you come together and try to fill your belly. That's what they were doing. They, there, some, of you, some of you are feasting, some of you are, are, are drinking so much, you're getting drunk. That's not what the Lord's Supper is for. The Lord's Supper, the focus is not on you, on you feasting. The Lord's Supper is the focus on Jesus Christ and his death for sinners. Now, what you're doing when you come together is that, is that when you come together, you are, you are humiliating people. You know, you have your homes to go and eat and drink in. That's an appropriate place to have a, hey, you want to have some people over, have a great big meal? That's a good thing to do. You have your homes for that. Lord's Supper is for focusing on Jesus Christ. And when you come together and there are divisions among you, you're humiliating the church of God. You're despising the church of God. And we should never forget what, what Jesus Christ says to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. Paul, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because in persecuting the church, in despising the church, he was despising Jesus Christ himself. Now then look at one of the things, I think there's something here about, that, that gives us a, a point about uh, how to relate to those who are are poor. I'm not an expert on, on poverty, okay, not by, by any means, but I think there's a point here. I think uh, on the one hand, for those who are within the church, the, the church has the responsibility to make sure that people have uh, food and clothing and shelter. Now, the details of that and the particulars of that, you should go and study 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 16, might not be everything that you think it is. So it might not be exactly the way that we might think it ought to be practiced. But we have a responsibility to care for one another. But one of the things I think that is here is that there's, there's more than one way to be poor. It's not so much that the, poor, that the poor were not, their material needs were not being provided for. It's that they were being excluded. You know, one of the things that we sh- should strive to do is not only provide for the poor their material needs, but social inclu- inclusion. That's one of the reasons why we try to give away a lot of stuff here. You know, if you want a Bible, you take one. 
If you want a book so you can join in the study, you take one. You, you, you need anything. Like, like you, you, we're about to have a meal afterwards. If you didn't bring anything, we still want you to stay. Okay, you don't have to bring anything. You stay and you, you stay and eat with us. We have more than enough to share. And so that we want to, we want in our practices, week by week, we want that to be a part of it. We also should take that to the, to the individual level, to an individual awareness. If we're going out to eat as a group and we know that there's somebody who, who might not be able to, to pay for that, then we, uh, we either change our plans or, or pick up the tab. We make sure that those who maybe don't have a ride to church, don't have a transportation to church, we're trying to make sure that they, they come in. In every way, we're trying to make sure that, that those who might, might fall into dishonor, we are going above and beyond to show them honor, to show, yes, we love you. There's more than one way to be poor, and, most, and, and often those who are materially poor are socially poor. But what Jesus Christ gives to the church is he gives us mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters in Christ. He gives us a family that many of us don't have, that many people in our culture and our society don't have. So we can we can be that for them. We can say we're together in Jesus Christ. We see how they were practicing the the supper, which is the that which is, in fact, they were not practicing the Lord's Supper at all. What we see next is the genuine Lord's Supper. Look at verses 23 through 26. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In verse 23, the language here is the language of tradition. But this is the Jesus tradition. This is, this is what Jesus handed down to Paul. This is, this is what Paul handed down to the church. This is what is recorded for us in the New Testament. So he says, this is, this is what I delivered to you on the night when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was betrayed, the night before his death. Jesus ate a, a Passover meal with his disciples. The Passover meal was this meal where uh, in, it, was a, it was a celebration and, in a sense, a reenactment of what God had done in the past to save Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And so in that time, the, every household was supposed to take a lamb, and they were to, to uh, kill the lamb, slaughter the lamb, take some of the blood of the lamb, put it over the doorpost so that the, the blood of the lamb would be a covering over that household. And then as a symbolic participation in the, in the sacrifice of that lamb, they were to eat that lamb in their households, to eat the entire thing, to make sure that nothing was, was left over because they were leaving. They were leaving the next day, so there's not going to be anything left over. And so there was this symbol of the sacrifice that was in their place. And and through the sacrifice of that lamb, those households were saved from death. The Egyptian households, in every household in Egypt, someone was judged for their persecution of the people of Israel. But in those houses where the blood of the lamb was over the doorpost, then, then God saved them. They were saved from the destroying angel, from the one who brought death. Well, at that supper, Jesus took that meal 
that meal that was a, a reenactment of, of sacrifice leading to freedom, and he, he, he instills it with new meaning. He says he takes the bread and he breaks it to symbolize his broken body. And he says, this is my body broken for you. What the Lord's Supper says, yeah, the Lord's Supper is not about filling our bellies. The Lord's Supper is about saying to you, saying to everyone who is a, a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ gave his body for you. On the cross, Jesus Christ died for you. When you, when you read the, the depiction of his, his brokenness, of him being beaten and mocked and spat upon, of how they, they bloodied his face and they punched him and they, and they, they asked him to prophesy and they mocked him and, and they, they put a crown of thorns on him and they, they put a, they mocked him as a king. When you see him broken in every way, when you hear him cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What the Lord's Supper says is that his body being broken, that is for you. That is in your place. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. You need to remember. The Corinthians had forgotten. We are prone to forget. Jesus himself gave a meal that says, this is one thing I don't want you to ever forget, that I broke my body for you. That's what we do. When we come for the Lord's Supper, we reenact the death of Jesus Christ. We do not, we do not represent it or re-sacrifice it, but it is a symbolic reenactment of what Jesus did for us. So that we remember Jesus died for you. Now, after the supper, he takes the, uh, the cup, the cup filled with this, uh, with this, uh, red fruit of the vine. And he says, this is, this is my blood poured out for you. This is my blood of the new covenant. You know, under, under all the covenants, they, they were ratified with blood. They were ratified with a sacrifice. They were sealed with a sacrifice. And then Jeremiah said, there's going to be a new covenant. A new covenant. Two great benefits of this new covenant is the first big one, the forgiveness of sins. How glorious it is to see in the cup that here is, here is Jesus' blood given for you to seal a new covenant that says your sins are forgiven. When we take the Lord's Supper, when we drink, when we partake, symbolically, we, we enact the taking of his blood for us. We, we symbolically reenact. He forgives our sins. Not only that, but it is the, the seal of the Holy. We receive the Holy Spirit. What Jesus Christ did on the cross was he, he died and he enacted a new age, a new time, the beginning of, of something new in which the Spirit would be given. And on Pentecost, that happened. The, the Holy Spirit was poured out on God's people. 
They were in that way baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is, they, they were, uh, we could think of it in, in the way that we practice baptism, which I think is the right way. Uh, we, he, they were submerged in the Spirit. They were saturated with the Spirit in a way that, that though the Holy Spirit was present and active in the Old Covenant, they had never known it to this degree. We joyously participate in, in the, in the taking of the new covenant saying, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us and enables us to obey the commands that we never could have obeyed before. We were in our past, we were disobedient, we were disobedient to our Creator. We were rebels against Him. But in the new covenant, we receive, because of the death of Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit who enables us to obey God's commands from a heart that has been transformed, a new heart. The dominion of sin has been broken in our lives and we now live to righteousness. That's what we live to. That's what we live for. He says, Jesus says, do this in remembrance. Of me. Brother and sister in Christ. You who are trusting in Jesus Christ. I want you to know. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. They are wiped away. They are as 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 far away from the east. From the west. Is how, how God considers your sin now. God no longer counts your sins against you. But he forgives your sins. And he has given you the Holy Spirit. For those of you who are struggling with sin, brother or sister, you have hope because Jesus Christ died so that you could have the Holy Spirit. And you can put to death the deeds of the flesh. You can. You now, you now have residing in you one, a person who is powerful to overcome sin. Jesus Christ promised him to us, I will go to my father and I will send you a helper like me. He said to his disciples, wait here until you receive the Holy Spirit. And every place that we go through the Bible, those who are trusting in Jesus Christ are receiving the Holy Spirit. Now then, there at the end, he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Consider what they were, what were they proclaiming when they were taking the Lord's Supper before? Before, what they were proclaiming in the Lord's Supper was they were saying, hey, there, there are, there are divisions. There are class divisions. You who are poor, you're over here. Uh, those of us who are of the, of the elite, those of us who are of the strong, those of us who are of the wise, we'll go eat in here, and all of you, all of you other plebes, you know, you can go wait out, outside. What we want to proclaim in the supper, what we ought to be proclaiming in the supper is that Jesus died for sinners. And we need to proclaim that to one another and to have it proclaimed to us on a regular basis to say, to be reminded, when you come for the Lord's Supper each week, as we typically practice it, you come, I want you, I want you to hear what Jesus, this is, this is Jesus' meal. This is the Lord's Supper. This is Jesus preaching to you. I died for you. Your sins are forgiven. Ask of me. Trust in me. 
will never leave you nor forsake you. Next, we see a worthy participation. A worthy participation. Verses 27 uh, through 32 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Verses 27 and 28. He says, whoever therefore. Okay, so so the therefore, the consequently. It's an important connecting word there. Okay, so this is this is the way that you were taking the Lord's Supper. This is the right way to take the Lord's Supper. Therefore, if you are if you are eating and drinking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, you will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. When they were going together and they were eating the Lord's Supper, they were not only, de- when, they were, when they were doing it in a divided way, they were not only despising one another, they were despising the Lord himself. They not only were despising the Lord himself, but they were despising that most, most significant of events that Jesus Christ accomplished for us. They were despising the cross of Jesus Christ. They were despising his sacrifice. You take that, you take that dummy or you take that statue, you take that representation of a person and you, you burn it in effigy. You say something that, that desecrates them, that dishonors them. Well, when you come together and you take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way, in an unworthy manner, you desecrate the death of Jesus Christ. And so he says, let a person examine himself then. Think about your, think, think about, think about what you're doing. Examine yourself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now then, I, I wanna, I wanna take a second and just break down what it looks like to, to take in an unworthy manner. Taking in an unworthy manner, or, or should I say, taking in a worthy manner does not mean that you are sinless. If this past week you sinned, that does not mean that you can't come forward and take the Lord's Supper. If this past week you sinned a lot, that doesn't mean that you can't come forward and take the Lord's Supper. If this past week you sinned really bad, that doesn't mean that you can't come forward and take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is actually here for Jesus to say to you, I died for sinners. They're, they're on, the only people who come forward and take the Lord's Supper are sinners. And so... Sin does not disqualify you in that way. Now then, if you are doing like the Corinthians did, and you are taking it in a one unworthy manner, that is, you're, you're doing it wrong, that is, you are doing it in a way that says that uh, divisions in the church don't matter, then, then you're taking it in an unworthy way. So if, if there is a person in the church that you have, uh, that you are holding a bitter grudge against, that you are harboring unforgiveness against and you do not intend to take care of it immediately 
Well, then, then you should not take the Lord's Supper. If you sinned this past week and you do not intend to repent or you had no way resolved to be done with that sin, then you should not take the Lord's Supper. If there is a command that you know that you ought to obey and you do not intend to obey it, you are, you are in continual unrepentance for, uh, for not obeying God's commands, then you should not take the Lord's Supper. But all those who are believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, who are repenting of their sins in obedience to Him, not sinless, but sincere in wanting to be done with sin, trusting in Jesus Christ, following Him in obedience. You come, you come and you take the Lord's Supper. Because Jesus says to you, your sins are forgiven. I gave my body for you. My blood is for you. I died so that you would have the Holy Spirit. So this coming week, you would, you would overcome that sin. You would know increasing victory over that sin. You would put that sin to death. That's what the Lord's Supper says to you. Now then, let's also talk about examination, self-examination. Uh, since we first started doing the Lord's Supper here, which was very young in our church, we, we started two or three months in, and we, we do it every week, typically. Uh, and we have tried to help people to examine themselves uh, before coming to the Lord's Supper uh, by saying, if you're a baptized believer in faithful fellowship with the local church, we invite you to come forward for the Lord's Supper. What we meant by... Uh, baptized believer by believer we mean someone who is trusting in Jesus Christ uh, as the one who died for their sins in their place and has secured for them eternal life the basic message of Christianity that a person must believe in order to be a Christian knowing that they are a sinner and knowing that they are trusting in Jesus Christ that person is a believer we also ask that they be baptized by baptism, we mean one who has publicly identified with Jesus Christ. Who, is, who has been baptized as a believer. Who says, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. And as, a, as the, the way that a person is incorporated or, or symbolizes or, or pictures their, their coming into the Christian life and coming into the church of God, so it would be something that would come before taking the Lord's Supper. And we say in faithful fellowship with the local church. By that, we mean, we mean someone who is a member of a local church. However, that is practiced in different locations under different circumstances. Someone who is a member of a local church, but not just a member. Someone who is vitally connected to the life of the church. Like you are, you are living that out. You are pursuing fellowship in a local church. Now then, we, we believe that that's proper. That that is the proper criteria for those who would come and take the Lord's Supper. Someone who is believing and someone who is obeying the Lord's commands. We still think that that's right. And that's been our practice to, to help people practice self-examination from, from the first time we took the Lord's Supper. But we think as the pastors, when I say we, I mean the pastors of the church, think that we need to do more to maintain the integrity of the Lord's Supper. Here's why. Everything that I just explained, not everybody understands that. 
And as we've thought about it, it's not really practical to give that explanation each and every Sunday. We are thinking of a, a different way of, of helping people practice self-examination, uh, a way that will, that will help to maintain the integrity of the Lord's Supper better. Now, for anyone who, who in the meantime might for any, any, any period of time be not take the Lord's Supper, be encouraged not to take the Lord's Supper with us, that is not meant to dishonor you. That this is meant as a way of honoring Jesus Christ. So keep that in mind. But what we're, what we're going to ask every time we take the Lord's Supper from here on out is that we are going to ask that before a, a person who is not a member of the church takes the Lord's Supper with us, that they speak with one of the pastors, one-on-one. And what we're asking is, is basically, we want, to, we want to make sure that they understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they understand the basic message of, of what it means to be a Christian. And we want to hear about how they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we don't think that that's excessive. We don't intend for that to be a barrier to genuine Christians coming to the Lord's taper, table. We intend for it to be a step. And I hope that you will understand that, that for, for Matt and I, for the pastors of the church who, who, are, who are called to give oversight to the souls of the people who are part of our church, that we will be held accountable for that that we felt compelled to give better oversight and better teaching. It's not something small to us. It's something significant for us. And we felt like this was the way to improve it. Now then, as a part of that, today, all of you who are observant, we don't have the Lord's Supper today. I feel the incongruity of that, okay? Hope you do too. But... One of the things that we thought is that, that what we would not want to do is in a, in a meal that is intended to symbolize our unity in the blood of Jesus Christ, I didn't feel like that was an appropriate time to maybe institute something that would be divisive. So what, what our plan is, is that going forward is that beginning on April the 5th, that's Easter Sunday, we want to again take the Lord's Supper together. We're just taking a, a few weeks to kind of reset ourselves. In that time, if there's some action you need to take, you need to come and ask the pastor something. Uh, if you have been uh, an attender of the church uh, or you're a guest in the church and, and, and you want to take the Lord's Supper on that day, uh, you want to take the Lord's Supper with us, then it gives us time to, to work those things out. And we are not asking for, we're not gonna give you a theology exam, Okay. We just simply want to hear how you came to know the Lord. We want to hear about your own testimony of, of faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we feel like in a one-on-one setting or, or, a, or, a, or a small group setting that that's an appropriate place to, to ask questions, to help you with that, to, to maybe teach you about some things that maybe you're not, you're not quite clear on. So... So please feel free. We, we want to make ourselves available. We want to, uh, and that also, that, that date on April 5th, that is, that is tentative. Because if, if in our, uh, if in our thoughts we, we need more time, uh, then we're going to give more time so that everyone can have a chance to, to work this out. And, and what we can do is come together as, as God's people, uh, and, and, uh, come and take the Lord's Supper, which says to us all, Jesus Christ for you. 
So think about that. And I know that, that there will be questions. Please come ask us questions and, and, and let us help you and let's talk about it. Because we want, we want it to be something special, something meaningful, something significant. Now then, you might be thinking, uh, well, they sure are making a, a, a mountain out of a molehill. I mean, sure are making a big deal out of nothing. I mean, it's just a, uh, it's just a piece of bread and a little cup of juice. It's not even one ounce. I mean, it's just making a big deal over nothing. I, I think you're thinking like a Corinthian. Because look at what Paul says. He says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. You know, one of the things that really drove us, I, I want you to know that this is not something that we, uh, a decision we came to hastily. We've been talking about this since we first began to, to take the Lord's Supper and with increasing intensity of, of, of discussion and prayer over the last several months. But it's because we don't want people eating and drinking judgment on themselves. And look at what he says next. He, he explains what that means. He says, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Some people were getting sick. Some people were dying because they were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Now then, you may not think that God would kill somebody over that. You need to expand your Bible reading a little bit. So... I, I, I don't want to multiply cases in which God killed people, but, but they're there. I can, I can talk to you about those afterwards. And for things that every single one of us would think were insignificant. I mean, who cares if you don't present the sacrifice right? Who cares if you uh, touch this holy box? So who cares if you lied about how much you gave to the church? God cares. And of all those things, could you imagine something that God cares about more than the, the supper that, that presents Jesus Christ, that says, this is what Jesus Christ did for sinners? And so he says, "Be we don't want people to do that. But anyone who eats and drinks without destroying the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself, some of you are dying because of that. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. What he's saying there is if, if we were, if we would examine ourselves and be careful in ourselves to practice rightly. Still, even though, even though the pastors are now trying to help people practice self-examination, this is, this is one layer of us, of our teaching role in the church. We are trying to help you practice self-examination. Still, there is an element that is yours. It's self-examination. And so you must judge for yourself. Is there sincere repentance and faith in Jesus Christ before I take the Lord's Supper? And so you come and take the Lord's Supper. And then he says, verse 32, when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Notice the, the transition from, from the anyone who takes the Lord's Supper unworthily as judge to we we are disciplined here's what i think is happening i i i want to don't want to be too firm on this but i think that those who are taking the lord's supper in an unworthy manner and that the lord was taking their life i think they were i think they were unbelieving i think that they were being disciplined in their unbelief and their disregard and their disrespect for jesus christ and for god's people 
But when that was happening in the church, that was, that was a measure of discipline for the entire church. And, and to confirm that, go back and look at the end of the, the account in Acts 5 where Ananias and Sapphira uh, were, were killed, were struck down by the Lord. It says at the end of that, of that account, at the end of that story, that the entire church feared the Lord and all who heard about it. And many were still coming to believe in the Lord. So that kind of, of fear, that kind of respect, that kind of reverence, God intends to maintain that. And so we want to revere Jesus Christ. We want to revere the Lord when we take the Lord's Supper. And so that was a way of, of saying something to, to, to everybody in the church. Don't despise this. Don't disregard this. And so he disciplined the church so that we, we who, who are believers in Jesus Christ would not be judged with the world. Some things happen in the Bible that are very severe. You can think of that. I, I, th- those are dreadful and terrible things. God uses those things so that we would not fall. He warns us so that we would not fall. So that we would not continue with a hard heart. But instead that we would, we would correct ourselves. We would judge ourselves. We would discern ourselves. And walk in the way that Jesus Christ has, has patterned for us to live. Let's look at uh, Paul's final instructions in verses 33 and 34. He says, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So he says there, when, if I, I'm just going to paraphrase this. He says, when you come together, wait for one another, that is... That is, don't, there shouldn't be any more divisions. When we come together, we're going to welcome one another. We're going to receive one another. We're going to practice hospitality toward one another. So let there be no, no more divisions. And he says, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. Uh, there's there, the, the Lord's Supper, the focus is not on filling your belly. The focus is on Jesus Christ's death for sinners. And so eat at home if you need to. Fix a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Do what you need to do. And then he says, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. But instead, it will, be, it will be for the better. It will be for the better. I think there's, a, there's one practical application that we should think of as, as we think about the Lord's Supper. And that is, the time to prepare for the Lord's Supper is not in the last song right after the sermon. The place to prepare for the Lord's Supper is that the Lord's Supper is significant enough that you should prepare for it at home. The Lord's Supper is significant enough that you should prepare your mind and your body and your spirit to, to receive God's word and to receive the supper, to, to, take, uh, to, to take it with the church. We have an, an extended period of, of preparation ahead of us, and I encourage you, it's going to differ by individual, but you prepare you prepare. Even this past week, we studied in our men's group about fasting, and it was it was a it was a pattern of the church in the past that that in many cases people would fast in preparation for the Lord's Supper. They would fast as a as a measure as a an expression of repentance, a purposeful path, fast. Right? They would fast to prepare themselves. Well, I want you to prepare yourself. 
to take the Lord's Supper. And we want to help you with that. And when we come together again for the Lord's Supper, I want it, we, we want it to be something that is significant. We want you to be instructed so that you understand the significance of it, even as you can help those who are coming alongside of you to help them understand the significance of it. And to come and believe in Jesus Christ. Come and, and be welcomed by Jesus Christ to his table. And to receive his body and his blood to symbolically reenact his death for you so that you know that your sins are forgiven. Father, uh, grant that there would be great, uh, great unity and great fruit uh, that comes about uh, through, uh, through our changes uh, in, uh, in practice, uh, in the way that we love one another. Uh, please grant us increasing wisdom and, and great uh, strength of, of um, integrity and uh, fortitude to do what we, what we know is right uh, or what we believe to be right uh, and that you would help us to act in best accordance with our conscience so that we would honor the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.